The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads ensure you can take on any adventure. Available H-Track all-wheel drives so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud. Standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together. Available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone. Whether you're tailgating out in the dirt lot, Carter Finley, shout out Carter Finley, or whether you're whitewater rafting, taking the entire family on an adventurous trip, maybe you're out camping at Mount Rogers. I used to go as a kid, wish my parents had a Hyundai Santa Fe. The Hyundai Santa Fe is perfect for your family outing. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Pick 6 Podcast, CBS Sports Daily NFL Podcast. I'm Will Brinson. I'm your host. It is Wednesday, February 2nd, 2022, which means two things. Should mean two things because 2-2-2-2-22. First, the Washington football team has a new name. How exciting. And second of all, more importantly, it's a Brady Quinn football show. In the club. I don't think we'll be in the club much when we're out in LA. No. I, I, are there any clubs still open anymore? I don't so know. I, I'm not sure. I Last time I was out there, it's it hard to get a restaurant to stay open from week to week. So feel I, for them. Feel yeah. for them. I'd assume that we will um, just be drinking in our hotel rooms. Yeah, by yourself. By You're going to be on lockdown. Yeah. Okay, yep. that's fine. It is what it is. Hey, it is, exactly. should be a great Super Bowl. If you're watching on YouTube, youtube.com slash pick six, hit the subscribe button, turn on alerts, like, alerts, like and comment. Also, if you're listening on Spotify, they now offer five-star ratings for podcasts, so give us a five-star rating. Um, okay, so there's a little bit of conjecture that, that happened right before the podcast started. Chris Ballas of TheWolverine.com reported on Wednesday night, or Tuesday night, excuse me. We recorded this on Tuesday night. It comes out on Wednesday. Jim Harbaugh plans to sign with the Minnesota Vikings. I'd ask you to read between the lines, but it feels pretty straightforward, Brady. <laughs> uh, and we'll, we'll do read between the lines after that. I mean, look, this would be a pretty massive move by Jim Harbaugh. He was already playing the interview on Wednesday, which was signing day. And so if you're not going to be at, Michigan for signing day, you better be taking a job in the NFL, right? Yeah, well, uh, look, uh, let me first just address that. Signing overrated. day is a, it, well, it's become overrated because of the early signing period where most of your blue chip players have committed, signed, some have already actually already enrolled in classes, and then the transfer portal, where really a lot of those players have already transferred out of the season. They've enrolled in classes as well to be eligible for this upcoming year, this upcoming spring. So it's lost a little bit of its luster, even though there is still some finality to that particular class and all of that. But um, to that point, yeah, I think you'd want to be there for what is the still national signing day. And it just sounds like he's not going to be. It sounds like he's trying to reunite in Minnesota with a, a former general manager in which he had been with, uh, at least spent some time with in San Francisco. So you're right. Yeah. Who? Wait, who's the, who's the Vikings? Gym? Good Lord. I can't think. Uh, uh, how do you pronounce his last name? Quisi Adolfo? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Quisi Adolfo Mensa. Yeah. yeah. I forgot he was in San Francisco. I'm an idiot. I was yeah. just thinking so he, he was previously with, with him in San Francisco, um, which I think gives him a little bit more comfort, right? Because if you look at how things ended in San Francisco, it was a large part due to Trent Balky. And I think one of the concerns you'd have if there's a couple jobs open that I think let's just go ahead and connect the dots. Stephen Ross owns the Dolphins, and you'd think that that would be a place that he would look. They saw the vacancy open. And Minnesota's obviously still open, and they clearly won them. Um, the concern going to the Dolphins, though, is Chris Greer. Yeah. He's going to be partnered with the general manager that, you know, didn't He literally along. just did the same thing that yeah. Trip Balky did. Yeah. yeah. And then Balky's I mean, still at the Jag Jacksonville Jaguars, kept Byron Leftwich and Adrian Wilson from coming in and taking over. So the, the whole thing is, is kind of up in the air, at least in regards to how you want to go about structuring this. But you'd like to be able to work with someone that you trust and that you both have a unified vision moving forward. Minnesota makes sense. 
I think if Rodgers happens to leave, that division is wide open for the taking. Yep. And you've got a good roster, a good offense that I think fits a lot of what he would like to do offensively. So it, it all looks on kind of the up and up in that sense. It makes sense to me. The biggest question, though, is why leave Michigan now? And then if you're Steven Ross, how are you – I mean, he said, he's like, I'm not going to pry him away from Michigan, right? Okay, he's going to Minnesota. Like, don't give him your best offer, dude. Pay him a bunch of money. Back at the Brinks truck. Move on from Greer if you need to. Not to let him go somewhere else. And now he's leaving your alma mater. So – it's like, hey, Stephen Ross, uh, you know, in light of the things that happened on Monday, maybe don't worry about going back on your word, going back in your word when it comes to Jim Harbaugh. Also, Harbaugh may not want to go work for Stephen Ross, who was accused of paying Brian Flores $100,000 uh, to tank games uh, per game, um, which we'll get to, I'm sure, in a minute. Yeah. Um, Separate subject, yeah. but a little bit of a mess there in my right. Uh, yeah, I had, God, I'm an egg. I completely egged. I forgot that Adolfo Mensa was in San Francisco. So that makes a lot of sense. Uh, he actually went started there with Balky and then survived through when John Lynch came in, jumped to Cleveland to work for Andrew Barry when he was hired and then took the, the, the Vikings job. Um, first time GM yep. analytics driven. He might feel like a little bit of oil and water with, uh, yeah. with, with Jim Harbaugh. But I, I do think that like, this is a guy who probably wooed Jim Harbaugh to a degree, right? Yeah, sure. I mean, he was definitely part of the pitch. I think, right. I mean, they hired their general manager first. So obviously his opinion was important. It, it factored into the Wolf family and the decision that they were going to make. Uh, the old analytics angle, though, you know, I, I got to know Rick Smillman over the years. And, you know, it's, he would tell you, too. I mean, he was very tight to the vest as far as how they would utilize analytics, how they would apply moving forward. It's not like he wasn't a part of, like, the analytics department. That oh, group, yeah, sure. right? Like, they all were. Everyone is in their own, you know, way or form. They just might not be as, as outspoken about it, in part because – they don't want someone to find what their special sauce is. They don't want to look at like what metrics they focus on or they feel like maybe are, are, are um, specific to them, right? That help them have success in identifying, you know, free agents, players in the draft, that, that sort of thing. So it's the old Belichick thing where he's like, analytics, we don't use them in football. It's like, uh, you're right, Bill. Yeah, no. <laughs> sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so look, I think it'd be a good fit. It's interesting, though, the timing that after what he did at Michigan this year with where he's got them to, I'm starting to think he sees some things down the pipeline. Like he kind of talked a big game after he beat Ohio state, right? Like a lot of trash talk with Ryan day. Maybe he realizes like, you know, I beat him this year, but that was the first time. And it, it might be, might be kind of tough to replicate this moving forward, especially if the big 10 removes divisions. Oh yeah. So imagine if, and they're probably going to keep regardless of not having divisions, the Ohio state Michigan game at Thanksgiving end of the year. There's a great, there's a likely scenario that the loser of that game is still playing the following week in the Big Ten championship game. So you're, you're probably going to get in some years Ohio State, Michigan, followed by an Ohio State, Michigan Big Ten championship game. So imagine him having to lose to them twice. I mean, this, whatever the streak was, how many times he lost to them, that could just exponentially grow because of having to potentially play them twice a year and never really being able to get the best of them besides this most recent year, which they had a bunch of guys are going to move on to the NFL. So uh, and, maybe it feels like the timing's right. Well, here's the other thing, too, is prior to 2021, Harbaugh took a giant pay cut in order to stay at Michigan. And so they right. had to fire the guy from his, you know, from his alma mater. You go and you beat Ohio State this year for the first time. You get your team to the college football playoff. You have taken a, a Michigan program that was kind of flopping and floundering about like yeah. until he got there. And you have st you've uh, stabilized it. You have brought order to it. You have restored it to the, one of the premier programs in in college football. I think over the past was he been there five years? Yeah, five, five years. years. It's actually a little longer than that, but yeah. Yeah, maybe it's like six or seven. Um, but like I think Harbaugh's done a good job there, and he's leaving. This is he's leaving at the perfect time because no one's going to say you left us in a bad spot or this program's in shambles. Harbaugh ruined it. It's like okay, this is a great job for whoever comes in next. So Harbaugh gets to get out scot-free from his alma mater, and he gets to go back to the NFL, which is where he wants to go, and he's getting to work with a GM he has experience with. And as you point out, division is set up nicely. Oh, my God, Harbs. And, and well, especially if, if Rodgers leaves, right? Like, it's just doors wide open. The thing you got to think about, too, is the impact of NIL and how college football recruiting has gotten, the transfer portal, and, you know, guys just having to worry about recruiting guys in their own roster so they don't leave to go elsewhere just for a payday and name, image, and likeness, and kids out of high school and what that pitch is like. You know, Jim Harbaugh doesn't strike me as your typical, you know, head coach now in college football or, 
you know, competing, you know, with the likes of a head coach like Jimbo Fisher, who's got a war chest that he's spending to buy recruiting classes. I mean, that's just, that, that's not what, you know, they're, they're going to do at Michigan. So because of that, I think the timing from that standpoint, you know, and, and maybe about time where he's saying like, I don't like what's happening in college football. It seems like it's the wild, wild West. Uh, why don't I get back to the NFL with an opportunity where I feel like I could succeed, you know, given what they currently have in the roster and what may take place around them in that division. And again, you know, you talk about just, I mean, the specifics of like what Harbaugh would look for in a team. I think there are enough pieces on defense where you could be excited about the idea of, um, of, of being, of being on that team, but maybe more importantly, offensively, I mean, it is not hard to picture that Dalvin offensive Cook, line. Dalvin Justin Cook. Jefferson. I mean, you got cousins for at least another year, depending on what they decide to do with him. Um, I, I, yeah, I mean, it fits right into that wheelhouse of, of what he's capable of doing. So, uh, I mean, I, I just, his, his first year in, uh, San Francisco, 2011, I mean, they the Niners went 13 and three, his first year, they were a sleeping giant. You tighten things up. You, you would think that Vic Fangio is a candidate to come back and be your defensive coordinator, which you would have to love like Harrison Smith and a Vic Fangio defense would be pretty spicy. Uh, oh, Notre Dame action there. You like to like to see that they got good linebackers. Um, there was a chatter about like John Harbaugh is after asked if Greg Roman would stick around and be his coordinator. I, I and he sounded like he is going to, I, I don't know that Harbaugh would try to bring him back, but you know, looking at, I mean, Alex Smith wasn't some like statistical monster, but completely, you know, had his best year of his career by far in 2011, 60 plus percent of his passes th- over 3,100 yards, 17 touchdowns, five picks. And then Frank Gore just pounded the ball down everybody's throat along with that good offensive line. So to me, it's a perfect schematic fit. Though I guess the only thing would be maybe the offensive line's a little under, like Harbaugh's schemes. For, not really- for some of the gap team things, maybe you'd say that, but you know, the, the truth of the matter is, um, you know, he had to adapt in college, right? I mean, their offensive line played phenomenal this year, but he, he did have to adapt over time to be a little more spread, a little more up-tempo, mix in some things, basing, you know, mix in some RPOs. Uh, things that, and not that he's not capable of doing that. I mean, think about the transition from Alex Smith to Colin Kaepernick. Um, but the reality is he did have to adapt and adjust during his time in Michigan to kind of fit more of what you can recruit. And I think what the college game was asking for now he gets back to what is his bread and butter. And I think where it's more matchup driven, you know, putting guys utilizing different personnel and formations and position to, positions to succeed. I think that's a little easier to, to do and get accomplished at the NFL level as opposed to college sometimes, because, there is sometimes a talent gap. And if your guys that you've got out there that you've got to put in a matchup scenario, aren't going to be able to win their one-on-one matchups the majority of the time, kind of like we saw in the semifinal game, that's a problem. Um, you know, different story when you look at the Minnesota Vikings roster and the NFL in general, where talent's more equated. For sure. Uh, okay. Let's play some read between the lines. A, the America's hottest game show. Part of the Brady Quinn football show where Brady reads headlines and I try to guess it. That's right. That's right. We're starting off with the New York Giants, their newly minted head coach, uh, Brian Dable. He says, quote, a lot of things to like about Daniel Jones. Any thoughts on his uh, positive or optimistic talk about Daniel Jones? Read between the lines on that one. I would say that uh, (laughs) Brian Dable and Joe Shane, whose pronunciation of his last name drives me absolutely nuts. Very Irish. That's what it is. I believe so. Yeah, I would never ask him to change it, but you know, yeah. just nice if it were. Um, anywho, uh, he, I, I think they told Giants ownership these bozos you've had coaching up Daniel Jones before. You've been through two head coaches and three offensive coordinators in like two or three years or whatever it is. Yeah, like three years. This ain't gonna fly. You need yeah. stability, and you know who's got stability. The Buffalo Bills. We did this exact same thing with Josh Allen. We'll bring in a coordinator. We'll make it work. I'm telling you, Mr. Mara, this is your road to not looking like an idiot anymore. And he said, sign me up, guys. Or is there a counter to this? Is this somewhat propping up and lifting up Daniel Jones? Because there is that theory out there. Some I floated to you a while ago. If a guy like Russell Wilson who you could acquire that I think we all believe has probably played his last games in Seattle. And when you've got two top 10 picks amongst other picks, if you couldn't make make a swap for him and allow Seattle to start their rebuilding process, maybe Daniel Jones is part of that package and bring in Russell Wilson. 
it solves a lot of your issues. Uh, you bring in a guy who doesn't turn on the football over very often, who's much more mobile, which solves some of your offensive line issues, even though that'll still be a, you know, a point of focus, at least in free agency. But this roster still has a ton of talent to succeed. So I almost wonder if the backing of, and really brutal honesty of John Mara talking about how they basically did everything they could to possibly mess things up for Daniel Jones. And that's why they want to see him again. And then Brian Dable as well. I, I do think there's a counter argument to it's hard to believe anything in the NFL at this point in time here, no matter what anyone says. And, and I wonder if you boost him up to then see, Hey, maybe there's some trade value or something in regards to a package to bring in a guy that you know, is a proven winner right now. Like if we've, if we've learned one thing, I think by looking at the Super Bowl. And the fact of where the Rams are and their strategy of how they got there, all in bringing in veteran guys who have showed up and showed out, or the the you know Bengals where they've got the number one overall pick, and they've been able to utilize that and build around that to then get and grow their way into it. You gotta, I mean, you gotta be one of those two positions, and they're obviously not drafting the number one overall. Maybe they could try to move up, but this isn't the year to do it. So you take those draft picks and you go get a veteran guy a la the route of the LA Rams and Matt Stafford, you bring in a Russell Wilson and there you have it, baby. You got talent around him and Saquon and Kadarius Tony and Evan Ingram and Darius Slayton and Sterling Shepard and Kenny Galladay might even be playing better. Rudolph's still there. You got all of that to throw to with a guy who's been there, done that before. So I, I do wonder if that's a piece of this as well. I like it. The other thing too, is if by propping up Daniel Jones, you're either you're either making that move, you're making this big trade, or you're going with Daniel Jones again in 2022. Like you're going to give him one more year and maybe two. Now, do you think that they will use the fifth year option, pick up the fifth year option, or they have learned from Carolina's mistake with uh, Daniel Sam Darnold. with Sam Darnold? And then I, same thing happened with Trubisky too in, in Chicago. Yeah, and 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 I think that in this case, you kind of know what Daniel Jones is. That's why I'm surprised they've been backing him, but they have to, right? Especially if they're going to use him as part of a trade package. But he is who he is. You know, he, he's played enough games now to see that he's going to fumble the football when he's in the pocket. He he's, hasn't had ball security. Jason Garrett addressed it before the season, talked about it. He's still got fired. Um, he still turns the football over through much, too much through the air. I just don't know that we've ever seen him take that next step, and maybe he's just at his ceiling of, of what he's capable of at this point. So I would much rather, if I could, find a way of getting me more of something that I know can get us to the playoffs, I know can win us a Super Bowl, then, you know, trying to hope and wish and pray that this works out in year four when the tape, you know, so far looks about what it's been. Uh, he's still battling the same issues he came into the league with. So I, I just, I, th I think the problem is you go through this year with him and you find out, hey, he's, just, he's the guy we kind of saw the first three years. I mean, now you might have missed out on the opportunity to get Russell Wilson. Maybe you missed out on the opportunity to get, you know, another guy in there with the draft capital that you have to make it work. Well, and the other thing is, if you if he plays so well that you wish you'd guaranteed his fifth year option, you can just franchise tag him and give him right. a contract. Now that might blow right. up your face, but then you're not stuck with him in the fifth year when you want to go out and find um, somebody else. All right, what is our next headline? Odell Beckham and talking about the Rams, he says everything about this place is right. I read between the lines. I would say that he's saying everything about Cleveland is wrong. <laughs> <laughs> it does. It does feel like one of those things where like he's in the Super Bowl. He's winning. He's happy. He's getting targets. He fitting, he's fitting in seamlessly into this offense. He looks like old school OBJ, or at least like a, you know, an older, he's not the, he's not rookie season OBJ, but he is a playing really good football. You see that kind of squatty bendy athleticism where he, he always reminds me of a slinky because he could, but he catches the ball and he'll look, be very compressed. Yeah. It's like Jamar Chase. And they start running and all of a sudden they get a little stretched out and they're like accelerating. It's, 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 it's beautiful to watch in the open field. Um, so, yeah, beautiful to watch. A slinky? Yeah, like compressed and then pew. Yeah, I get that. I just don't ever see a slinky move that fast. Usually it's well, kind I mean, of a slinky, like, it, like the internal part, the torso is a slinky. <laughs> a spring, a compression spring. How about that? All right. It doesn't sound as cool. All right. Um, I feel like he's saying this because he's coming off the best game he's had since what, 2020, 2019, something like that. Probably 2015. <laughs> it's been a while, right? Over hundred yards and had to be in a huge game where he made some really meaningful catches and played tough, right? Uh, it took a personal foul, like helmet to helmet shot. And he, and he got up, kept playing. Um, I just, this is all working out where in a year where things look like, they all just were falling apart for Cleveland. He moves on to a place that is just, it literally is greener pastures 
He seems like he's got better chemistry with Matt Stafford. And he's enjoying the city that he's living in. So um, I'm sure there's a lot of OBJ fans who are happy for him. I do think this is a direct shot at Cleveland, though, when you do yes. read in between the lines here. Uh, uh, he, he had, um, you're right, 2019 against the Jets, naturally, back at MetLife Stadium. Yeah, uh, he had a six-catch, 161-yard, and a touchdown performance. That was one of his two 100-yard performances for the Cleveland Browns in the entire time he was there. Wow. Uh, all right, moving on. Head coach, newly head coach, newly hired head coach, Matt Eberflus for the Chicago Bears. He says, we'll play, we'll play with high uh, effort and to get your track shoes on. Uh, read between the lines there, Will. Uh, oh, boy. We got another head coach that wants to make this professional athletes run. Guys, guys, he hadn't been in college for a long time. It's like he's been coaching in college for Nick Saban or Belichick, and he's trying to do that thing. It's just, oh, why would you say get your track shoes on? Like that implies you're going to be running sprints, adult grown men in professional football. I, I think it was more relating to the fact that their team is going to have a lot of team speed, which I would have said at one point in time, they kind of had a lot of team speed, right? Like remember when Tree Cohen was like the mix up back in the backfield and Anthony Miller was there. He had some speed. And I don't know that Al Roberts has ever been a true burner, but they have had some guys with some speed like down. Yeah, there you go. Moody. Um, they've had, had some guys with downfield speed and ability. Um, so it's, it's a bit surprising that he's, saying this but the reality is i i never understand really when you see head coaches get up there at their you know introductory press conference they feel the need to make these statements like this it's like all right man just get up there keep it simple and then start answering questions you okay, know like so if you let's say you're hired as the head coach of the jacksonville jaguars yeah john breach like to pronounce it maybe it's a maybe it's a midwestern thing what the jaguars jaguars so you say jaguars so does John Breach, yeah. like Jag, W-I-R-E-S. Breach is from Cincinnati, correct? Yes. So yeah. it could just be a, a, a rust belt. Yeah, but even those from Cincinnati tend to have more of an accent. They almost sound like they're from Kentucky. I know it's just Covington's right across the border, but I don't know what it is about Cincinnati. They have a, they have a slight accent. And then same thing with Cleveland. Like you get somewhere in the middle in, in Columbus, it gets lost where I'm from. So okay. All right, so let's say you're hired by the Jacksonville Jaguars uh, and, you, yeah. and, you, and you're going to be their next head coach. You are tasked by Trent Baalke to giving the most generic possible uh, commentary at your press conference. What are the, what are, give me like three or four phrases you're going to throw out there about your team. Like, what is your team going to be? Is it going to be multiple? Is it going to be fast? Like, what's your team going to no, be? No, you just say, look, our team's going to be smart, tough, competitive, hardworking, you know, and we want guys in there that football's important to, you know, guys that football's important to, and they're not going to sacrifice. You notice I went to a coach voice here. It's a little bit of Jay Gruden, right? Because Jay's kind of got a little Southern to him. You know, football is important to him. And um, twangy you know, John Gruden. It's yeah, fun. well, a little bit. But you almost have to have more of a Southern, more of a draw to it. It just sounds better. I don't know why. You know, we're going to be a high effort team that high effort, football is important. Multiple on, multiple on, we're going to be fast on offense, multiple on defense. We will play with the. You, of a you don't want to finish words too at the end of a sentence, right? You just got to chop it off. You know, yeah. like, football is important. <laughs> like, you almost don't want to get the last word out, you know, because like, they're so excited about the next sentence that they just they don't even finish the, the sentence beforehand. So, you know, football is important. A guy's going to be in here, you know, working their tail off. And the, you, you, know, you kind of get excited as each one goes. But you keep it generic like that. Anyone, I got any questions? Anyone got any questions? I, I'd get up there. I want to get up there. I want somebody to get up there and be like, we are going to be vanilla on defense. We are going to run the ball on first down and probably second down. We will throw in passing situations on third down. We will sometimes try. And our effort may be above average at various points. Just like I also think you just need to state the obvious and see who calls you out on it, right? Like yeah, right. we will run the football. Yeah. We are going to stop the run on defense, and you better believe we're going to take care of an offense, and we're going to get turnovers on defense. Now, all right, <laughs> then we're going to get after the opposing quarterback. We're going to protect our quarterback. It's like all right, and when we get in the red zone, we want touchdowns. We don't want field goals. All right, all right. And when we're the other team, get out the field on third down, we're trying to stay on the field on third down. That's what we're going to do. That's the type of team we're going to be, right? When the other team gets in our red zone, we won't field goals, not touchdowns. That's right. That's you right. could probably get away with it. Although the road, well, I mean, as long as you say it in an entertaining way, you know, and, and you really, you know, you know, call the local, you know, beat reporters press by their first name, usually they tend to give you a pass. You know, hey, Jim, good to see you. You know, I haven't seen you. How are the kids? Kids are good. How old now? Holy hell. Well, good, good God, you know, you better make sure they ate 
Kathy's behind the wheel. She's 16 now, folks. She's 16 now. Man, look out. Watch out for Kathy. <laughs> did, you hear, uh, did you hear Dable try and uh, make a joke with uh, is Matt Lombardo? Oh, when Matt came in late. Yeah, and he's like, late on your first day, huh? And it's like, oh, no, why are you doing the Patricia thing? But then you realize, you're like, oh, he's just messing around. And, like, but yeah. people definitely didn't Well, and, 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 and Dave's kind of jokes around like that. So he, he'll mess with them from time to time about it. But, like, that's the thing. Like, you know, he's, yeah, was in, did you have him as an OC? OC twice, yeah. Yeah. yeah, good guy. And I got the call. I got to call some games too when he was calling plays um, for Buffalo. So I've really seen his evolution just as a head coach from when he first started calling plays back in 2009 in Cleveland, uh, and then 2012, and then really once he got to Buffalo, the ways he changed the offense. I think the way he grew as a coach. Um, you, you think he'll be a good coach? Yes, I do. I do. I, I think. I think. You know, one of the things that he's great. Not to get on a complete tangent from a read between the lines. But he is very personable. Um, he, he connects to players. He creates those sorts of relationships where, you know, we'll still text back and forth, you know, maybe he'll give like a Budweiser, what's up? Like that sort of thing. Like he's, he's got that sort of relationship with his players. And, and I thought one of the – he did a couple of things really, really well was, you know, as far as your preparation of what to expect, but also in saying that, like having a toolbox, having things you could go to where you always had an answer. Um, things can get gray out there. Sometimes you might see a look that you haven't seen or prepared for. Right. And there was always something you could fall back on that he would prepare you for before that game. This is what you go to. So you had a quick answer. You had something to go to. Um, but you know, his relationships, I think were the biggest thing is how he's able to connect with players. And I think that will bode well for him as a head coach where you've really got to manage people. We got to manage players kind of oversee the whole thing. And that doesn't mean there won't be growing pains, but it just means like, I think that actually will help him excel as a head coach more so than what he's done as a coordinator uh, because he's going to be able to develop that relationship with guys and kind of have a feel for where his team needs to be pushed or maybe pull back a little bit. I like it. I like it. Uh, yeah. did- All right. We got one more that kind of tags on, by the way, yeah, 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 let's get, get back to the Chicago bears. We got Ryan polls in quotes saying we are taking back the North kind of big words for a first time general manager to go out and make that statement. Do you think he's betting on the fact Aaron Rodgers isn't going to be in green Bay this year? I would hope so because Aaron Rodgers owns you buddy. Um, just a quick perusal. So in theory, if one were taking back the North, it would imply that at one point one had the North. Now, technically speaking, he could be referencing 1984 through 1988. Well done. If that's the case, uh, congratulations from a historical perspective. But I would suggest that the North has been lost from you for quite some time, Mr. Paul. Is this like a historical monument? Is that where we're going? We're making, we're making the Bears and Soldier Field a historical monument. We're back during that 84 to 88 period. I mean, was he making it? own the NFC North, but now since Patriot Favre and Rogers era, they've just owned you. They've, that's their real estate. Maybe that's why they're moving to Arlington Park. Maybe because Rogers owned Soldier Field. So they had to buy land and build elsewhere. Uh, do you know how many times the Bears have won the North since uh, the nineteen uh, since Mike Ditka left and Dave Wanstead took over in nineteen ninety three? I would say four times, five. So close. Yeah, uh, they won it. Excuse uh, Wanstead never won it. Dick Duran won it one time. This like weird pop up thirteen and three season. Lovey Smith won it back to back in 05 and 06 when they had their Super Bowl run. Yeah, the Super Bowl loss. Matt Nagy. In and then Matt Nagy won it in 2018. I mean, there's no taking back the North. You're just no. going to take the North. Right. <laughs> you don't owe You're, you're not even going to take it. You're just going to hold on to it for like a year. You know, you right. might not even, you might not, like, it's going to get taken back from you. So you, you're right. going to hold it. You're going to put it on layaway. That's what you're going to do. <laughs> if you came to my house and stole, like, took my dog. Yeah. And then I had to come to my, to your house and take back my it. dog. Yeah. Yeah. But like, if you just went out and got a dog, you're not taking me. Like, I just go out to get a dog. I'm not taking back my dog. We're going to borrow the North. We're going to borrow it for a year. Put the North on. Uh, we're going to put the North on. On North. Yeah. Uh, all right. Moving on to the Las Vegas. Wait, 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 oh, first, before we do that. Oh, come on. What? What? I got to tell you about the deliciousness that is Butcher's Box. <gasps> Butcher Box? Oh, God, you think I was going to have some other piece of news that you don't want to talk about? No, that's right. I was just like, please don't be a tangent. Please be Butcher Box. Meal prep is difficult, but Butcher Box makes it easy. And this is no lie. 
ButcherBox. I just had ButcherBox. Mm. ButcherBox is a subscription service that takes the guesswork out of finding high quality meat. ButcherBox sources the meat from partners with the highest standards for quality. No more searching the grocery store for 100% grass-fed beef, free-range organic chicken, wild-caught seafood, and more. I personally have thawed out some beef. We've actually, we had, we, we snowed the other day here in, in, in Raleigh, Brady. And when it snows in Raleigh, it is a disaster. Everything's gone from the grocery stores. People lose their minds. You can't buy milk for three days because everybody's stocking it up. And um, yeah, we weren't worried about it because we had all this, we had this butcher's box beef at home. We pulled out the chicken. I made some, um, I made some delicious grilled chicken, Greek, uh, a Greek uh, a salad. Ooh, okay. All yeah. right. A little healthy, huh? Yeah. A little Greek dressing. Uh, then I also, tonight, I was like, man, I am craving tacos. And I and the best part is you can get this you get the the beef into you know, the package of ground beef it's the best ground beef you'll ever have from right. Butcher's Box and you have it so you not you not have to worry about running out to the store and grab a thing of beef and then come home and cook it it's just you thaw it out in the morning fire it up in the fire it up in the pan and all of a tacos. sudden tacos tacos and Taco Tuesday there you that, go Taco Tuesday you're right I didn't think about that maybe that's why it was, I'm just conditioned every month Butcher Box ships a curated selection of high quality meat right to your home. Free shipping for the continental U.S., no antibiotics or added hormones. Each box contains between 8 to 14 pounds of meat. Woo! Depending on the box you choose, that's enough for 24 individual meals. Pack fresh and ship frozen for convenience so you can save time on your next grocery store trip. Customize your own box or go with one of theirs. Either way, you get exactly what you want. This is your chance to never have to shop for ground beef again. That's right. Butcher's Box is giving new members free ground beef for life. Yes, it's crazy. You can get two pounds of ground beef free in every order for the life of your membership by going to butcherbox.com slash pick six. Log on to butcherbox.com slash P-I-C-K-S-I-X and claim this deal. I'm telling you, the ground beef is fantastic and you won't be rushing out to the store to try and get Taco Tuesday going. Yeah. Ground beef already at home. You can invite some people over for Taco Tuesday. Treat them the butcher box. Treat them. You know, it's a nice little life hack for uh for Taco Tuesday. What's that? I like to take. I like you warm up my tortilla shells because mm. I like the, I like crunchy tacos. I'm more of a crunchy taco guy, and I I like to sprinkle cheese in the. I feel like bottom. you're in the minority there. That's just me. probably. But I like to put I like to sprinkle cheese in the bottom of the shell. Ooh. Put beef on top, and then a little bit more cheese on top, so you get a nice little layer. Yeah, that's got to be like an item at Taco Bell somewhere, right? Makes so, it right. Uh, okay. Anywho. All right, moving on. We're back to read between the lines. We've got the owner of the Las Vegas Raiders, one Mark Davis. Did you notice he missed out on the S on Josh McDaniel's last name? Did you notice that when he when he introduced him? Did Josh McDaniel? Yeah, he did. I've seen yeah. Mark. That's just come on. I, I just Mark Davi. Yeah, <laughs> Mark Davi. Mark, Mark yeah. Davi. Uh, but he said uh, this is what he said in the introductory press conference before he actually turned it over to Josh McDaniel, as he said. He said, McDaniels told me the tuck rule was a fumble, and he got a nice little uh, round of applause from those there in attendance. So got off to a good good, good start. Uh, read between the lines on that one. Josh McDaniel said anything he needed to say to get the job and was willing to make jokes at the expense of his former pal Tom, or his pal Tom Brady, former NFL quarterback, retired, uh, in exchange for sucking up to Mark Davey. I love what you did there. Um, yeah, I, I don't even know if that's so much the case. It was probably just like, ah, we all watched it. I think everyone would agree. It was probably a fumble. Like, like, let's, let's be real. Like, now that you're now that you're my employer, you'll be signing my checks. It was a fumble. Like, we got like, away with it. He's like, I will, I will tell you what, Josh McDaniel, I'm willing to hire you if you'll admit that it was a fumble. Josh's like, sure, whatever. It's a fumble, bro. I don't care. Like, everyone knows. Yeah. What do I care now? Yeah. <laughs> I've got the ring, so what does it matter? What, um... What do you what do you think about that hiring? I well, mean, I think it had everything to do with uh, well, let's read between the lines here because we got Dave Ziegler is coming up next. David Ziegler, their general manager there in Las Vegas, and he says he's going to be the one making final decisions. They'll be made by him. Read between the lines there, and then I'll answer your question. I think that this was a situation where Josh McDaniels did not want to leave New England unless he was able to go with a GM like Dave Ziegler, who he knows and he can trust. But also, I. Think there's got to be a little bit of self-awareness because Josh McDaniels, who screwed up a lot of stuff in Denver by virtue of having too much personnel power, 
wants to kind of keep himself in check and wants to have somebody who can, who can build in some checks and balances to help him out. Yeah. I think, look, there, this relationship goes back to the John Carroll days, right? Where, where Ziegler and both Josh McDaniels went and played football there. It extended to Denver where they were both there together. Uh, and now you look at the relationship there in New England. I think when you're looking for a head coaching job and in Josh McDaniels case, because he already got one opportunity and because of how the opportunity went with the Annapolis Colts, he's probably not going to get a, a third one if this doesn't work out. Right. So you better pick a place that you feel comfortable with is going to give you a long leash. And I think they wanted to give John Gruden that until that whole thing blew up. Oh, Gruden had another Gruden was going to fire Mike Mayock and then have another three years before he's on the hot seat. Right. So I think Mark Davis wants to find a long-term answer. Uh, Josh Daniels is still young enough. I think he's wise enough. He knows that division and he's got that relationship with Dave Ziegler. To your point, when he talked about looking back on his time in Denver, one of his mistakes was, it was just how important the, the people part of the business is. And I got to be honest, you know, he traded for me. I was there with him for not even in a complete year because of all the things that transpired where he got fired 12 games into it. And one of the things you kind of noticed was you could see the stress of everything starting to wear on him. Mm. And I think that didn't necessarily impact his play calling, but it definitely impacted how I think he managed the team, maybe even managed his own staff in some ways and handled all of it. So when you've got a guy in, in David Ziegler who you trust and can rely on to do all that and take care of that portion, and you at least know is aligned with your beliefs of what you're looking for in a player, and that's what he's bringing to the roster – you don't have to worry about it. Now you can just focus on the guys that are there. So I, I think he looked at the importance of relationships in this particular relationship with Ziegler as a great opportunity for him and probably got the sense that maybe Bill Belichick's not going to be done for a while. You know, maybe he's going to continue to keep doing this for a while too in New England. And he was like, I don't want to keep waiting for this or waiting for that opportunity to, to be the next guy in waiting. Because you never know. Robert Kraft could say, yeah, I'm going to sell the team. The next owner may say, I want to bring in my own head coach. Or you get a scenario where, you know, maybe Robert Kraft says I, we had a nice run with Bill, but I kind of want to go a different direction right now. We're going to start. We're going to start fresh. You know, I don't. I don't know that I want you to follow Bill. We want to go to you know go look for somebody else. Also, I think a couple of things. One, McDaniel's is exactly, and so it was Gruden, obviously, because his, you know Al did Al hired John Gruden the first time, but McDaniel's is exactly the type of hire that Al Davis would have loved like young, creative, offensive mind, big, splashy hire. You know, you can come in to sell to the fan base. Um, and to your point about like McDaniels also, I believe the relationship stuff will come in and not be in a rush to get rid of Derek Carr. Right. Now, maybe they move on from him, but Derek Carr makes a lot of sense in the type of offense that McDaniels runs, you know, accurate on the short Dude, immediate throws. Name how many quarterbacks have thrown for over 4,000 yards the last four years in a row. Uh, Tom Brady, Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen. No, Josh, no, it wouldn't be Josh Allen. Uh, Derek Carr, obviously one of them, I'm assuming Kirk cousins didn't cause he had, he had Kevin Stefanski. So he didn't hit it that one year. I mean, uh, Matthew Stafford, no Rogers in the conversation. Rogers. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Brady's in the conversation. Now the problem is, is, you know, Mahomes, or like Herbert hasn't played long enough, but he went 4,000 and 5,000 this year. You'd assume he's going to extrapolate that out. He's, he's going to hit those numbers. Derek Carr's underrated. No, I mean, I think from a production standpoint, and then you look at his roster, like, Look at that roster to throw to compared to everyone else in the FC West. You'd have to say, I don't want to say it's not bare bones. They got Darren Waller, um, you know, for a period of time, they had some of the pieces, Hunter Renfro is underrated, but the truth of the matter is they still don't have that true kind of number one wide receiver, unless you're, you're looking at Hunter Renfro like Cooper cup, which I don't think Hunter Renfro is there yet. So the truth is I, I you know, we, we still haven't seen the best of this offense, because of their inability to find that one number one guy. I think we thought maybe Brian Edwards would be that this year. And he shows flashes at times, which is not quite that guy. So I kind of look at it and go, I think when you look at what he's been able to accomplish, his consistency in comparison to, you know, everything else out around him, it's, it's pretty damn good. And when he got to Denver, immediately traded Jay Cutler, which is fine if that works out, but you have to, you better win and your quarterback better be, and he drafted Tim Tebow. You know, you better win. Your your quarterback better be good, and you better be. Yeah. And, and and I think if you're looking at the three reasons why he ended up getting fired, I mean, one, the you know the kick out the door was the Spygate two situation. Yeah. You know, filming the 49ers walkthrough when we were in London, the Tebow thing I think was not understanding how he was perceived on the outside, and then what Josh's plans were for him. You know, he saw him as a wildcat quarterback. He saw him as a short yardage, you know, goal line type package guy. 
if maybe he could develop into a quarterback. I mean, especially considering how bad Tim looked in practice. And, and when you watch him, you're going like, there's no way. So I think from that standpoint, he didn't really temper the expectations and get out in front of it and say, he'll have a role. This is what we're looking to do with him, But like, we don't feel like he's going to be able to fit this. Uh, and that I think added to it amongst even this first year, you know, when they got off their six, no start, and then in Belichick's face and went, well, went two and eight and just looking at like the reaction that he got from the media for like cursing on the sidelines and weird things like that, that, you know, he got a lot of flack for like that for some reason, because how the season ended and how some of those things were handled, like it, it kind of, I guess, shed a bad light on him. Like I remember getting in there and being like, I don't feel like he's on the hot seat, but you got that sense from just right. how the media and everything felt when you're out in Denver that, that, that next year. I was there. I, I remember 2010 was my first year with CBS and just covering, like covering that whole thing. You're just like, my God, what a zoo. And the other, you know, Alfonso Smith, they trade for to pick the Wake Forest cornerback. They trade for to get him in the second round. They gave him a future first rounder that ended up becoming, do you know, do you know the answer to this trivia question? I don't. Earl Thomas. Okay. Whoops. Earl Thomas. Like of the Legion of Boom. Legion of yeah. Boom. Huh. Yeah, like, Josh McDaniels basically kickstarted the Legion of Boom by trying to get Alfonso Smith and then giving up a, a high pick in the in the first round the next year. Interesting. Oh, did not know that. A piece of trivia for you. Uh, oh, Josh McDaniels, we can win with Carr. We mentioned that. We talked about uh, Jim Harbaugh. We talked about Josh McDaniels. Do we? Do what? Are we? Are we missing anything that we need to talk about? Well, that's a very loaded question right now. I mean, do, do you want to get in the lawsuit that's been filed by Brian Flores against the NFL and uh, X amount of teams and what's going on with that? I mean, I, I think my initial reaction to it was this. There's obviously a lot more information that needs to come out in order to, I think, satisfy whatever burden it is to be considered racism because it, it appears as if everything that he laid out Let's, let's lay it out to you. Brian Flores is suing the New York Giants, the Miami Dolphins, the National Football League, and 29 oh, Jane Doe teams, which right. you can pretty much guess who they are because there's, you know. Uh, and he is, he is alleging that, um, the, that, the, my, that the New York Giants essentially used him as a, as a Rooney Rule compliance person and that they'd already hired Brian Dable and that the proof of that is because Bill Belichick texted him and said, congrats on getting the job. And he's like, thanks. I, I think, I think I'm going to get it. And then was like, coach, do you know, Bill, do you know that you're talking to, to who do you think you're talking to Brian Flores or Brian Dable? And then Bill was like, I effed up. I got, I read the text wrong. My bad BB. Uh, and then, then he Flores said, thanks, Bill. Uh, that was included in the, in the, in the materials in the lawsuit. Um, and he also alleges that Stephen Ross, the Dolphins owner, attempted to told him he would give him a hundred thousand dollars for every game he lost his first season in Miami in an attempt to tank for the number one overall pick, and that when he refused to do it and then refused to meet with Tom Brady on Stephen Ross's yacht in what would have amounted to tampering, that Stephen Ross then believed he needed to get rid of him. Um, none of those things are actually none of the Miami things are actually racist. I don't think. Like, I, I, well, the reality is I don't know that any of it is racist or any of it necessarily doesn't equate to the Rooney rule. Uh, I think that the question really becomes the legitimacy and what he's trying to bring up is the legitimacy and the legitimacy of, of not only interviewing, but the legitimacy of the opportunity for any minority candidates that are given the chance to interview for head coach. And, and I think up until this year, you would have said the Rooney rule has been effective. It's obviously forced teams to interview minority candidates. There's been data and statistics on this that percentage of minority head coaches has grown since the Rooney rule has, has been introduced to the NFL. The problem is now we're at a period in time where, you know, maybe you've got some teams. There's one minority. Well, where you have one now, right? Unless, you know, I'm saying all minorities though, not just if you want to talk about black, obviously Mike Tom is the only black head coach in the NFL, but minorities in, in general, the problem you're getting to now though, is people feel like the Rooney rule is just like a box. You're kind of checking and, you know, you're giving guys opportunities to interview who check that box, but there's no legitimacy to it. And that's really what Brian Flores is trying to bring to light. And, and I don't necessarily think he's wrong in that regard. Like, mm -hmm. I feel like when, when teams go out and search who they want to hire, they probably have an idea of the type of person they want to hire, you know, and they're probably looking at, for example, if you're the New York Giants and, and, and I'll just, I'll put it this way. If they were looking at, okay, what's best for Daniel Jones, what's best for us moving forward? 
is it hiring a defensive guy or an offensive guy? Probably not a defensive guy, right. especially the way Brian Flores botched the whole situation with Tua. Now, I don't know if that was due to his decisions or what was going on behind the scenes, but the reality is it looked awful as far as the optics of jerking Tua in and out throughout the starting lineup his rookie year. And then really kind of how it even looked at times they talked about him going into this year, and all Deshaun Watson spectrum, all that. If you're an organization and you've got a problem with the quarterback and you want to try to make him improve or get better, that's probably not the guy you're looking to hire. So, you know, with the New York Giants going into this thinking, hey, we want to hire a guy who's probably more offensive, you know, minded and able to help us with our quarterback and, and all that. Yeah. I mean, look what Brian Dable did with Josh Allen. It makes a lot of sense for what they're trying to accomplish with Daniel Jones, if indeed that is their intent. Um, and so is that racist? No. Uh, the reality is, it's just it, it's the guy they ended up wanting to hire who also had, prior, who'd work, who'd he had prior experience with, with, with yeah Joe, Joe Shane. So it all comes in line with one another. The problem becomes, you know, are there opportunities that aren't there for Brian Flores uh, because of someone's already interviewed and checked that box and they don't want to go that direction. They'd rather go someone else. Or you look at the Jacksonville Jaguars and Trent Baalke was basically standing guard and like blocking out Byron Leftwich, who's a former Jaguar, from coming back and being their head coach because he wants to bring in Adrian Wilson. Like, yeah, that's a problem. Now, I don't know that necessarily has anything to do with, you know, that's racism. Not really racist either. It's, it's, just, it's just Trent Baalke's trying to not allow. Trent Baalke's got on ear and therefore is preventing what would have been to an immediate, immediate hire of a minority general manager and a head coach with the Jaguars. Yeah, and I'll just say this. You know, with the NFL obviously put out a statement you know, saying that, you know, they don't, there's no merit to this. And, and they've gone a lot of lengths to try to make sure the NFL is as inclusive as possible and giving minority, um, you know, coaches the opportunity to be a head coach. And, and there is, I talked to, a, I talked to a head coach before. He said, look, I'm getting calls from Troy Vincent, who's, who's telling us to help try to, you know, increase the amount of minority head coaches we have on our staff. I've had a head coach tell me that and going about hiring a staff. And so, you know, you can make the case that is that right? Like, are you hiring a guy based off merit or are you hiring for other reasons? And, and so there's, there's obviously a bigger conversation that needs to happen here. And I think if Brian Flores in this class action lawsuit, depending on all the other coaches who could fall in line to this, um, it's more likely than it's going to settle because no one wants this thing to go where you're going to discover a bunch of emails. Discovery with this, right. Yeah, so they, they don't want to go that route. So they'll probably settle. But it becomes an issue when like, all right, like, so every single time, someone wants to try to utilize this tactic. They're just gonna be able to shake down the NFL or shake down a, you know, a, a team for money. I mean, there's, there's, this is a, it's a big conversation. So, you know, you know, we'll see what information comes out if they have some true evidence and correspondence that would say, no, that's racist. Like we, I mean, some things that we've seen come out this year in some emails that we've been able to identify that's racist. If that's the case, then yeah, I think it's hands down. Like we've identified an issue here. But as far as the process itself, it needs to be improved. But I, I don't know that, um, you know, teams are going about it thinking like, you know, that they're, they're, they're taking that sort of angle at it and trying to, you know, limit, you know, him necessarily getting an opportunity. But again, that's my opinion. I'm sure there's a lot of people who don't care because uh, I'm not a minority head coaching candidate or minority coach in the NFL. Well, and the, the Rooney rule for, you know, there are other, there's an allegation that John Elway and Joe Ellis and the Broncos, uh, you know, uh, search. They showed up an hour late and, and they looked like they've been boozing all night and they didn't take the interview seriously, which, you know, the hard thing is, is it's going to be hearsay, right? I mean, you've got their documentation of that visit of that time. Hey, look, maybe and, they were out boozing the night before. I mean, that wouldn't be right. out of character for any NFL. Especially yeah. that group. But yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I would, I'll let you say it, not me. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm just saying the reality is though, it's going to be documented on both sides. So I, I don't know how you're going to be able to prove that you know, otherwise, if they've got something behind that. So uh, th that's the hard thing is, is, you know, are the teams going to take a hard stance against this in the NFL to see how far this thing's going to go? Uh, or are they just going to settle and, and make it go away, which they tend to do with things much like John Gruden did with the Las Vegas Raiders. And look, I mean, or the NFL for that matter, it is, it is, it is a better thing. It is a good thing if hires are made equally like it, that that should be like that. Like if you like a black guy, or a Hispanic uh, coach or a Caucasian, like it should all should have the equal opportunity to interview. Um, right. I do. We, agree. We, we should hire the best candidate possible. Like, like, like as a player, like I, I want to go play for Tyron Willingham in Notre Dame. I, I want to go for the guy that I thought could make me the best player possible. And obviously make me a better man. He was who I thought I could do that. I got drafted with Romeo Cornell. I love Romeo Cornell. The first time I became a free agent, 
I, I went back to go play for Romeo Cornell because I thought he was a good coach. I thought he was smart. I wanted to go back and assist him to be around, you know, what I had gone through in Notre Dame with Charlie Weiss for a couple of years in a New England system where I knew what to expect. I knew how we were going to play. I knew the things that he was going to try to implement as a head coach. All those things were attractive to me as a player. I, I didn't care. I, I thought he was a smart, good coach. Same, same thing with Tyron Willingham. So the reality is, like, I, I think that's all probably what players want. If you can help me win a Super Bowl, help me become a better player, that's what it's about. Um, but, yeah, I think we need to look at the process of how we're going through this and to establish, like, are there some things presenting or, excuse me, preventing minority coaches from not being more of a part of this process? And, and, and like I said, you want it all to be equal, but at the same time, the, like the Rooney rule does create a problem because it's a, it requires teams to interview minority candidates, but then it, then you're basically like incentivized to just go find Anyone. a minority candidate who, you know, will interview, talk to him. And then if you want to move on to who you think who you may have identified as your next head coach. And if you're that potential candidate, right. And you haven't interviewed for one, like you're like, yeah, I'm going to do this because I need the experience because I want to be a head coach one day. Right. Or I want to be a coordinator. Or however, it's going to help you down the road. So from that standpoint, you can see why they kind of have to follow through with taking the interview because they need practice for that. If they aspire to be a head coach or a coordinator one day, that's one way of looking at it. I think it's an interesting serious. thing would be if you took away the Rooney rule. And especially now, as, as, as much as we pay attention to all this stuff, I mean, now you'd really be putting pressure on organizations to say, okay, you don't have to do this. How are you going to handle your search now? Right. You know, are, are you going to bring in a diverse group of individuals to interview for this head coaching job? And are you going to do it on, on your own volition and not necessarily have to do it because of, of some rule that's put in place? I'd be cur- I mean, granted, that's more of like a social science study, right? But it'd be curious to see how that would actually end up working out um, if, if they, you know, did away with it just to see how teams would actually operate. Um, and then, you know, you have a, like a situation where, like, I believe Ryan Poles is, I mean, right. He's, uh, he's a black man, right? I mean, like yeah. he's, yeah. Right. I mean, it, it's, well, it's, then, and you look at that and you say, okay, he's coming like, from oh, Kansas another City. white head coach was hired. It's like, but they hired, I mean, they did hire a black guy for the G you know what I mean? I'm just saying well, it's, it's not even that. I think, I think like one of the things I saw on social media was, so why didn't he hire Eric Bieniemy? And, and I think, Clearly, the issue you may have through Bears is like, well, we hired the last OC that they had there, right? Like we run in Matt Nagy, so it'd be kind of. I mean, are we going to go back to that well again? If it doesn't work, you're you're going, all right, that's our bad. We did it again, you know. Like I, I think there is an issue in, in that maybe standing in this way, but the reality is, you know, why wouldn't Ryan Poles look at trying to bring him in? You know, Byron Leftwich essentially didn't take the Jacksonville Jaguars job because he's like, I want my boy Adrian Wilson to get be my general manager. Right. That's who I want to work with. So, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a very difficult topic to complicated, convoluted complicated. conversation and uh, uh, probably one that no one really cares for us to talk about. To be yeah, honest. Right, right. Two, yeah, two middle-aged people I was talking about. Yeah. Um, the, I will uh, very quickly though, uh, two things. One, um, how did you think about how Bill Belichick text? And maybe you've texted with Bill Belichick before. I don't know. That. No, I've met Bill a couple of times. Uh, I haven't texted with him. Um, yeah, I was just, that was cool. He reached out to a guy that, you know, either one, right? He's coaching against the division one way or another. He's, he's either coaching one Brian back or he's coaching the other Brian, but either way, like they're both playing against them twice a year. Do you think that, well, no, cause it'd be the, the, do you think that Bill Belichick texted the wrong Brian or do you think he messed up and read something the wrong way? Cause I think he's probably texted the wrong Brian. No, he texted the wrong Brian, but like it, he the, texted conspir- Brian. the conspiracy theory of my, my buddies floated was like, what happens if he set this up and this whole thing becomes public? Then there's this lawsuit, and then somehow he gets he gets to hire Brian Flores back as his DC because he, he <laughs> yeah. or also he did it on the like he happened to come out the day Tom Brady retired, like right. just like like ruined Tom Brady shine. And it takes down the I, I think it's entirely possible. This is the second thing I want to ask you. The the allegation that Steven Ross offered Brian Flores a hundred thousand dollars to tank games, right. if that is true. Right. And I think that the NFL will investigate that regardless of like, like the NFL is going to look into that. Well, and the problem with this is again, you know, I think in some ways people are looking at Brian Flores as a hero because it's courageous what he's doing, especially if he would never be able to coach again in the NFL. And I think you run that risk. If, if there's not any damning proof of what he put in there about Steven Ross and any proof of that with the Denver you know, interview process or, you know, I, again, the text exchange with Bill Belichick. Okay. I mean, if you're the New York Giants, you're going to vet your head coach. They vetted Joe Judge. You know, when, when they don't, we're not expecting to hire Joe Judge. 
I can tell you firsthand from everyone I know and the sources that I heard from, they did not expect to hire Joe Judge. Bill Belichick came with a recommendation, and when, it was after they interviewed him where they go, we got to hire this guy. He's perfect for us. We love this guy. He's perfect for our team. And then two years later, it's a different story. But the reality is, you know, you're going to vet guys when you're looking at potential head coaching candidates. You're going to call players that played for him. You're going to call head coaches that obviously they, they had coached underneath. Um, and so it's not like uncommon for them to kind of be like, or Bill to be like, yeah, it sounds like they're going to you know, end up hiring this guy, right? From the conversation I had. Right. Um, but, but anyway, if that is true about Steven Ross, you would think that they would, I mean, you can't, it's hard to take away a team from a, an owner for doing that. Mm-hmm. The reality is there's probably other examples you look at, like the Andrew Luck here at the Colts where you say, all right, did they tank for Andrew Luck that year? Um, we see it in the NBA all the time. And that's a lottery system, so there's not even guarantee you'll get the number one overall pick. Right. But you wonder if they'll put in measures to prevent this, like a lottery system, or if they just literally bring down everything but almost a death penalty to the Miami Dolphins in significant fines, um, obviously taking away draft picks, which is kind of odd because you're like penalizing whoever the next head coach is and the players that are on that team for something that like they weren't even aware of, right? Nothing to do with. So I think at the end of the day, a heavy, heavy, heavy fine is probably the extent of where this would go if they could prove it, which I'd be shocked that Stephen Ross would put anything in an email and like that sort of thing. I just, it, it doesn't make any sense, but there has to be some base or some claim by Brian Flores to be able to file a lawsuit. Otherwise it's career suicide. I mean, you yeah. could look at it as courageous, for what he's doing for a lot of minority head coaches, but in the same side, like, there better be proof behind it. Right. Otherwise, otherwise you have a very good chance of never getting a job again, unless Belichick. you think there'd be a counter lawsuit, right? Like there's defamation there. There's, there's other ways like people are then perceiving Steven Ross, the Miami dolphins. I mean, again, I'm not a legal expert. I know you were a paralegal for a minute, you know, for your pops, but previously, I mean, you tell me that there wouldn't be a counter suit in this case. If all this ended up, you know, end up being blasphemous. Yeah, I mean, you, the ca- yes, if there was if there was libel or slander in here, you would potentially do the countersuit. But then the downside is you are you are inviting open dis- up for discovery again. They have to look yeah. at things. So yeah. I think it'd be more of a you. What, what gets interesting is once they get past the motion to dismiss stage and, wh- and whether or not this this thing's uh, allowed to consider uh, continue on. I do think it's interesting that, I mean, in theory, if something really bad, like if the NFL found out that this scandal of stuff was happening in Miami and Steven Ross was forced to sell the team. It'd be a pretty good, um, pretty good long con, pretty good play by, uh, by Brian Flores. Get a little, get a little measure of revenge in, in that instance. Big time. Although the, the odd thing is, is it, it wasn't Steven Ross who, you know, and they can say it's who Steven Ross who pushed him out. Sounds like it was Chris Greer too. At the, end of the, day, which... the whole thing, the whole thing is, is, is pretty wild. Um, okay. I kept you longer than our normally a lot of time, but we had a good chat. Broke down so many, so many topics. Yeah. Kind of ended on a somber note though, man. It's, it's tough when you see stuff like this in the NFL, you know, especially with the Super Bowl coming up. So I was trying to steer back to Bill Belichick at it. Cause like he wrote, he goes, Oh, I effed that up. Um, I read the text wrong. My bad. And then wrote BB. <laughs> it, it, it like humanized him, right? Like it humanized Bill Belichick. We look at him as, I guess the real life version of like Darth Vader with this like hoodie and he walks out all grumbly and some little kids like, Hey, Mr. Coach Belichick, just shake my hand, give me a five. He's like, get out of here, kid. Oh, he's like, my lifesaver would chop that off. I just picture like, I know we've all done that when we sent that text that we didn't, you sent the text, the wrong group chat or like the wrong person and your heart, like everything freezes for at least like 30 seconds to a minute while you try to assess the damage level. And you know, Belichick was like, when he saw that, are you talking to Brian Dable or Brian Flores? Like uh, uh, Chris Brown pointed out, it's possible he has both Dable and Flores saved as Brian assistant coach in his, like in his telephone. Like yeah, that would be more interesting to see what they're saved as right. right. Like within his phone. Like, is he Brian assistant? Cause he, see, cause see Flores could be Brian assistant coach D where it's like defense. But it like, you know, he's thinking, oh, that's Dable, of course. Like, that would not be that shocking. Well, you never know if he put his number in from a long time ago. I could be wrong, but did Dable first start on offense or was he on defense first? Oh, you're right. He, he was on defense. Go back and look. I thought he was on defense at one point and then maybe started and then he maybe switched over, but I, I could be wrong. I think it- on both because they talked about um, how uh, Josh McDaniels was saying the same thing, how 
how he used to how Bill Belichick they him coach on. both sides so they could learn both sides. He was on, he was a defensive assistant for the New England. For, he's a graduate assistant for Nick Saban for two years, defensive assistant for two years, then wide receivers uh, with the Pats, and then bounced to the Jets. So is he a defensive assistant with the Patriots or with Saban? Uh, de- defensive assistant for two years with the Patriots. That's what I thought. And obviously, again, I've, I've known Dave's for, uh, for a while now, but I thought I remember him talking about that because one of the cool things, and this is something that I'm, I think Belichick did, I don't think it came from Mangini. But we would switch uh, in camp. So our entire defense would come to offense, quarterback stay, entire offense go to defense. Oh. Yeah, and then we scrimmage. We'd have like an install day and all that kind of stuff. And what it did was it was really unique. I mean, I, I give Eric a lot of credit for his idea. Um, it was really unique because you, you learned two things. One, the defense is way more athletic than the offense. Like those dudes, these like you throwing a cornerback, they're gonna drop it, but we're like, all right, screw it, just give them a reverse, let them get out there and run and juke guys out. Um, but it was almost like more like, like tag or touch, whatever, because we didn't want guys to get hurt. But you realize, like, oh, these dudes are athletic, but also they don't know anything. Like, we're installing an offense, we're like, what? Yeah, like, I just, but um, it, 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 it was neat because you they understood the level of the magnitude of what you had to understand offensively and then defensively, you know, those offensive players learned like, all right, here's their other weaknesses. This is the pressure you put on them when they're running off the ball with speed to run a go route. A lot of the times we were like, all right, we don't even want to try to teach them another route. Let's just have them run a go route. They're fast. <laughs> and, and now you understood like, all right, like I need to get him in his backpedal because if he runs a comeback or a deep dig, like it's going to be hard for him to adjust out of that and react. So it was a really neat concept, but it was something that I think they do a lot too with the coaches, making them coach both sides of the ball. You see, now we ended on a happy note. Yeah, we did. All right. That's the show. Uh, we ran long, but tons of great information and insight from Brady Quinn. As always, I'll uh, see you next week. In next LA. week, Super Bowl, baby. Super right, Bowl. Man. Travel safe. See you then. Too. The perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, The designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com.